Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film is the science fiction time travel movie Looper, which is one of the films I was looking forward to in November 30, 2011. Yeah, great choice, the re- by the way. The reason that I remember that date, of course, was because Lloyd and I have been doing podcasts where we say five films we're looking forward to. And November 30, 2011, the very first one of our upcoming film series, I mentioned Looper. So uh, it's been quite a long time coming, nearly a year mm-hmm. to get to Australian shores. In, in a way, those podcasts are like a time travel device. <laughs> you, know, you can see what films that we were looking forward to at the time and see whether or not they held up. Um, before we get any further, I'll just mention we are going to have spoilers on this podcast. So if you haven't seen Looper, you probably want to see it before listening to the rest of this podcast. Lloyd. What do you think of Looper? I loved it. Um, I didn't know what to expect. Like, the title sounded really, I don't know, I don't want to say dumb, but it just didn't sound like a great movie. Like, it sounded like a comedy almost. And I didn't know how serious they were going to take it purely based on the title. And I took my brother and a friend to go see it. um, And they had no idea um, what to expect. And it was fantastic. It was such an original sci-fi sort of movie. It was fantastic. It's smart too, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of really intelligent and lets you fill in the blanks in a way because you don't see too much of the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, Joe Rogan on his podcast went on and on about it and he said that this is probably the best um, sci-fi film he's ever seen. (laughs) Oh, ever seen. I don't know about that. Yeah, no, me either. (laughs) Maybe maybe he doesn't watch Well, he loves Avatar as well, so there you go. (laughs) Do you like Avatar? Yeah, like uh, the James Cameron Avatar, he thinks it's one of the best films he's ever seen. I I thought it was okay, I didn't think it was like the best. (laughs) For me, Avatar, I probably had the worst viewing experience you can have with Avatar. I watched it on um, my iPod, so like I bought it digitally and watched it on my iPod. And uh, so tiny, tiny screen, obviously not 3D, probably not the way James Cameron intended it to be seen. (laughs) Uh, you've always been interested in um, time travel, like that's a thing that you've always been, I don't want to say obsessed about, but anything that's with that subject, like uh, particularly films or books, um, you've always been keen to watch it? I'm fascinated by the idea that if time travel existed, like I could come back to a certain moment in my own life and tell myself what to do, but then of course I don't become the person that has the ability to time travel back and it's like a big paradox and for me this film sort of sets it up really well but the only thing I was thinking was I don't know whether or not you can interact with your own self that that for me is the the one is a major point of the film and I'm willing to let it go because I enjoyed it all so much do do you focus heaps on the science behind it like it has to make logical sense or um, um, it ruins it for you because I know you had problems with Back to the Future although it's one of your favourite movies of all time um, it is, it is. One of the, the problem for listeners who don't know Back to the Future, um, Biff in the future takes the time machine and goes back to give himself the almanac. And when he does, he uh, changes the future, makes himself rich. And when he does that, he goes back to a future where Doc and Marty should no longer exist because he's wiped them out of that future. You know, and nobody exists in that future, yep. but he's still able to bring the time machine back and, um, you know, return it in a way. Uh, to Doc and Marty, which of course the film wouldn't make any sense and you wouldn't have any lead characters anymore if Biff took over the film and became the lead. But in this, honestly, Looper, I just watched it for enjoyment first time through. 
it's going to be one of those things where I look back every viewing because I'm definitely planning on buying it. De- definitely love the film. And every time I watch it, I'm going to be thinking about the mechanics behind it. You know, like Back to the Future for me, I've watched tons of times and that's probably why I start to pick it apart more and more, you know, and see the logic behind it. For me, this this lets you just roll with it. And the only scene which bugged me about time travel was when they're sitting in the diner and old Joe, played by Bruce Willis, he says, oh, let's not talk about time travel because if we do, our heads will explode and whatever, you know, like he just kind of dismisses yeah, it. Yeah, he, go- he even goes, look, if we're going to have to explain this, we're going to have to bring out straws and draw diagrams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's basically exactly. telling the audience, just forget it. Just let's move on. Just go with it. I think yeah. Austin Powers had one of the best ones in Austin Powers 2 where he goes back in time. And he goes, oh, well, hold on, if I go back, one eye, and he goes, oh, I've got cross-eyed. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. No, but for this, like I said, I just went along for the ride, so um, I was happy to forgive any time travel quantum problems that this might have had. Um, like I said, the only one which I sort of flagged with was whether or not you could interact with yourself, because once you interact with yourself, you change the person they're becoming, and you no longer, like it would send ripples and... This must be the reason no one's ever come back if time travel exists in the future. That no one would ever come back and talk to themselves. You know what I mean? Right. I think because so. you would change you would change yourself and then you would never become that person and yeah, unless I guess things went terribly wrong. This is the kind of thing where your eyes will suddenly go crossed. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the premise where as a looper Lloyd, could you have done the job of a looper where you eliminate yourself in 30 years time you know you get sent back and killed by your younger self um could i do that or could you do it if someone said to you you're going to be like more rich um you're definitely going to guaranteed 30 years of life because you know in 30 years they send you back and you're dead kind of thing yeah um, killed by yourself the, the premise of the movie could you become a looper um, well, in that economy, from what I saw of the environment, it was very hard to live. Like, people were robbing each other at will. You know, you had to be armed. It was almost like chaos. Um, I, I would probably choose the looper route because, you know, you have such a good life, although it's a very limited time. Um, whereas living in hardship for a long time, I don't know, it's... I'd have to know the world really well, but from what I saw, I would choose to be a looper, probably. Although it's a very terrible job. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it sort of takes a very kind of suicidal almost mind mm. to know you're going to kill yourself at some point. It really would put somebody in, like, therapy for the rest of the 30 years. Oh, definitely. Knowing that death is coming. But in a way, if you look at it, you're guaranteed 30 more years of life and you're given this big payday and retired and you no longer have to kill. It's sort of temporary happiness, yes. I guess. But... You might not live 30 years in those poor conditions. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like, it, it's one of those questions, like, um, I, I guess, I think heat sort of came across it, it, it um, in a sense. Like, uh, you know, w- w- um, when Al Pacino asked Robert De Niro, he goes, Don't, didn't you want to have a regular type life? And he goes, what the hell is that, barbecues and ball games? You know, I'd rather live an exciting life, although it might be brief and dangerous. Um, but that's the road. That That's the only thing I know how to do, and that's what I want to do sort of thing. Yeah. That's one of your favorite films, oh, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that 
flagged for me was when they got the big payday, when we saw that sequence, which I completely loved, that sequence of when you watch Joseph Gordon-Levitt grow older into Bruce Willis, which would have been the first time around when Bruce Willis lives out the 30 years himself. That gold didn't last very long, did it? No. Not at all. Everybody's got floor safes in the future, too. <laughs> well, if, you, if you're making that kind of um, money, I guess you'd... And, and lived in that kind of environment where you could be robbed at any time. <laughs> yeah, true. But yeah, like, uh, that's the thing. I would have thought, as a looper, you know, they would have kind of had enough to last 30 years. But I guess he used a lot of drugs and he kind of had to do a lot of crime and stuff afterwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a one shot... One shot that bugged me. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think, they did a fantastic job making him young Bruce Willis. Incredibly convincing. Do you agree? Um, it. I, I don't understand what the strategy was with that makeup because he didn't look at all like he did in Batman Rises, but again, he didn't... Dark Knight Rises? Sorry? Dark, oh, the Dark Knight, Knight Rises. Rises, sorry. Um, uh, like, I constantly was looking at his face going, wow, that's incredible, but is he, he's supposed to look like a young Bruce Willis? Um, yes. I don't know, wouldn't it be... I don't know, like... Is that what Bruce Willis looked like when he was younger, or did they just want to change Gordon Levitt to be a completely different person? Uh, I, I didn't understand the strategy there, although the, I thought the makeup looked fantastic. The thing is, there's a few features on Bruce Willis that obviously Joseph Gordon Levitt doesn't have. The key ones being that his eyes are a different color, so he was wearing contacts. Yep. His nose is a different shape, so he had a kind of nose prosthetic, and his ears were changed as well. So you can kind of more imagine them being the same person it makes the film more convincing i thought um was a bit distracting for you was I, it i guess but uh, he didn't look like a younger bruce willis all i saw w- with the makeup was he didn't look like um levitt's at all um, he didn't look like i Joseph guess when, the, uh, when it went to his 30 year time loop which i thought was a fantastic part of the movie where it went you know after he shot himself it, it went on for 30 years from there onwards um you see him evolve to look like Bruce Willis? Yeah. Did you did you have a pause at that bit? Because the way it was presented, suddenly you think it's happening again. Yeah, You're watching like a the loop. same scene again. Yeah. And for that, I was thinking, oh, this film is going to become a series of loops and there's going to be many versions of him coming back and there's going to be a few of him running around. I, th- I didn't know where it was going to go at that point. Mm. Um, obviously, it became a bit of a simpler tale with just Bruce Willis and... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but I was really at that point thinking, oh, am I about to have my mind blown? Is there going to be so many different parallel versions and stuff running around? And I didn't know what was about to happen. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the part, um, the most grotesque part for me of the film was when that um, when, when that guy who, who got away, they were supposed to assassinate him and he managed to get away and that I guess they, they yep. coined a term for it and they knew how to handle it because I guess that happens quite a few times and he starts losing fingers and everything like that yeah. I, I just want to clarify something was that the was that his best friend but older? Okay, so Paul Dano the guy who's from Ruby Sparks and Little Miss Sunshine is the actor yep. And he plays his buddy Seth, I think yeah. it is. And uh, he comes running to Joseph Gordon-Levitt and he's all like, hide me, you know, and then they take him away. Um, after all that stuff. So then the older version of himself. Oh, so that was the older version of himself. Yeah, Paul Dano 
uh, lets his, his older version of himself escape. The film is really good in that it does everything right at the beginning. It sets up the routine. It shows the rules. It shows like the closing the loop idea and the gold bars for retirement all in the first 20, 30 minutes. Somebody, you know, shoots themselves and retires and you see how it should happen according to the rules of the film. But he's the first one. Seth is the first one in the film to let his older version escape. And so that scene where he watches himself run away, he was singing under the bag and he was singing a song that Paul Dano knew, obviously from his own childhood or whatever. And so when he was singing it, he knew it was himself and he couldn't shoot and he had to look. So he pulls the bag off the head and finds that it's, you know, it's him. It's an older version of him. And when he escapes, honestly, this film... That is the scene people will remember, where his older self is running away, and then suddenly carved into his arm is an address, and then he starts losing fingers and a nose and limbs, and he's just falling apart as a human, and they are torturing horribly Paul Dano, the younger version of Seth, and he's losing piece by piece, and you can imagine, because it's only as terrible as you imagine it to be, you know, everything you think is happening, where he gets his nose lopped off or his limbs and stuff... You're thinking that stuff. You're putting the picture in your own mind. And so it's horrible. It's horrible, horrible imagery because, you know, you imagine it happening. And then you see a little bit of what's the instruments of their actions, like inside that room. Um, like yes. after he gets shot in the head, you see the doctors operating on someone in the background. Yes, be- behind. Yeah. So he's like, not, they're not going to let him die in a way because this is his retirement now. They're killing off, you know, the other version of himself. He's probably going to live and be in a wheelchair and be severely mutilated. And, you know, we saw how he might look when he's older, based on the older version, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's a tricky one, isn't oh it? Oh, my gosh. But that was so grotesque. I wasn't sure what was happening at that point. And then, like, after the movie had finished, I'm like, oh, wait, that was probably him being, you know, cut up. And, oh, gosh. <laughs> I think the reason they do it is to set up what will happen if Joseph Gordon-Levitt is yeah. caught. So, you know, that's what they'll do to Joseph Gordon-Levitt in order to catch the Bruce Willis older version of him. Yeah, that was brilliant. How come they they didn't put makeup, I guess, on that um, actor to make him look like his older self? Uh, I don't know. That That's what I was drawing um, towards that. But uh, yeah. I see. He but probably it, it doesn't looked have good. enough like, screen time. didn't look like Levitt. He looked like a completely different person. Great makeup and everything. But um, I just didn't think he looked like a younger Bruce Willis. I think that was the concern when I heard about this film. The only thing I think I thought was, who are they going to cast? And when Joseph Gordon-Levitt is younger, are they going to change Bruce Willis? They're going to change Joseph Gordon-Levitt because are they just going to pretend? You know, there's a lot of years between them. They could probably turn into the same person. But the fact that they made more of a conscious effort and did all this makeup, I think if you sort of squinted, you would think it was a young Bruce Willis a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think it was a really solid performance by Joseph Gordon-Levitt really seemed like a young Bruce Willis to me. The science behind the um, uh, the time travel as well, like, I'm glad they didn't get, get into the instruments. They just said, like, it is possible by 2074 and they can send guys yep. back in time and we see a little bit of the actual mechanics of it, the machine. Um, it looks like this chamber that they put him in and it heats up and I guess it puts him back in time in that exact place, but, you know, so many years ago where it's just all farm. Um, is yes. that your understanding so I think of it as well? Or would, do you think they were able to teleport guys uh, to precise locations? 
No. Um, I don't think it's precise locations. I think it's a precise amount of time. So, like, it's exactly 30 years later. Yep. And so, both points in time are constantly moving, if you think about it. And so, exactly 30 years on, they send him back. And then 30 years later, like, yeah, he'll be in exactly the same place to be sent back, I guess. I think the machines are always kind of calibrated to land in the same place. Yep. So they've always they've got different points. Like you saw Paul Dano, Seth, he was in some kind of different area mm. than um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. So they have like an exact point where they go and stand and wait, and the machine always sends them back to that point. Oh right. So I don't know how they assigned those to different loopers or how you know they knew exactly what days and stuff but yeah i guess the bits of paper would come back someone would collect them you know how they said 11 o'clock and stuff yeah if you send a bit of paper at like 10 o'clock right um then an hour later you're going to send back the person if you said it's going to be happening at 11 o'clock you know oh right yeah because only an hour has gone by and so they'll have an hour to get the bit of paper and get the looper there kind of thing how do you think they were communicating between each other um the future gangsters to the past gangsters how do you think they were communicating each other just through telegrams or well i mean if if they had like different points set up where different time machines send stuff back to different places they would have one that goes to jeff daniel's character yeah because he he's sent from the future isn't he yeah, exactly. He's sent back to make sure all the looper stuff happens and works and, you know, is better. And that the mob still runs things, I guess, from the future. Have you heard of Ronald Mallet? No, I haven't. There's this guy, and um, he's a full PhD in science or whatever. Um, I actually got his wiki here. He's quantum cosmology and relative... Rel- relativistic astrophysics if i'm pronouncing that correctly he's a guy um so he's very well respected in the science community he's about 67 years old um he's american and what happens when he what happened when he was young about 10 years old he was so close to his father he he died of um uh, i'm not sure exactly what he died of but ever since then it was so traumatic for him he spent his entire life trying to um, work out to build a time machine. Like he was got, he was so obsessed with H.G. Wells's time machine, and um, he's yep. one of the many scientists in the world that are working on such um, technology where they think they can send back someone through time. I just think that's very cool. They should make a movie on that guy. If there is time travel. Um, and it does exist. Maybe, I don't know, like, un- I-, I guess maybe it's something where, like, until Time Machine is invented, they can only send people back to that point when the Time Machine was invented. Mm. They can't send any ba- anyone back further. But if they could, there must be a rule, like, you can't tell anyone else of time travel. Isn't that crazy? All that stuff bends your minds. Like, there are actual great minds in the world today. It's not science fiction. It's something that they really are trying to work on, on possibilities. Well, you know, it would be banned. It would be outlawed if... Um, and it would only it be run exist. by gangsters. <laughs> yeah. It, that's interesting that... Um, what was the guy's name again? Uh, Robert Mallet. If I'm... It's interesting that Robert Mallet... If I'm pronouncing that correctly, it might be Robert Mallet. <laughs> Mallet, yeah, maybe. Uh, that's interesting because... Oh, Ronald. Um, sorry, the, Ronald Mallet. Ah, okay. So if people want to look him up on Wiki, it's spelt M-A-L-L-E-T? Yep. Okay. So it's interesting that this Ronald character 
um, is interested in the time machine because if you've seen the film or read the book, The Time Machine, he can never go back and save his wife because he never would have built the time machine to go back and save his wife. I I haven't actually read that book. Oh, okay. In spoilers, obviously, (laughs) you've already spoiled, but it's over 100 years old. So over 100? I don't know, maybe 100. Um, He... In the book, his wife dies. Then he builds a time machine to go back and save her. And he goes back and he spends 24 hours with her or so. And each time he spends 24 hours with her, she finds a different way to die. Because it's kind of course correction. Things are fixing because she's always meant to die on that day. And he can't save her because he would never build the time machine to go back and save her if she didn't die in the first place. So it creates a paradox kind of thing. Oh, right. And so he can never save her. So... That's interesting because this Ronald guy would never be able to, if by the same logic, he would never be able to save his father because his father would always die on that day because then he would become obsessed with time travel, invent a time machine and go back and save him. He would never save him, oh, you know what I mean? Geez. So they cancel each other out. Yeah, kind of thing. It's, it's Again, it's like you say, it's the stuff that bends your mind. You could argue all day about time travel, I guess. Fascinating. And you you were also really crazy about um, that book... The Time Traveler's Wife, but they did a poor adaptation yeah. to film. Terrible. But that's Terrible. a recommended book. You'd highly, you know, you were really yeah. enthusiastic about Oh, look, about the, ta- the Time Traveler's Wife is like if you took a really good science fiction time travel movie and mixed it with The Notebook, and it's this kind of love story across time where the an older version of a guy called Henry interacts with a younger version of his wife, and he kind of, in a way, if you think about it, convinces this little girl that one day she's going to become his wife so it kind of creates this love story Uh, it's really hard to explain because it's such a long book but they're kind of destined to be together but also it kind of happens because he goes back in time and um it's got a lot of sort of um really poetic sort of um parts and if you haven't read the time traveler's wife it's really good it's quite long but I think it's quite a good portrayal. But don't watch the movie. Then, the movie, they did a bad job. Yeah, the movie's got a lot of things wrong with it. And even... I'm not going to talk about what happens in the ending, but the ending is sort of different to what the book does. And they take out a lot of the violence and the sort of reality of time sure. travel. Um, and they make it sort of more lovey-dovey. It's more the notebook. And <laughs> I've taken out all this, all the science fiction stuff. Oh, you know, no. Besides the... F- What's good about that is the explanation for time travel is that he has like a gene in his system. It's part of a DNA um, of him that causes him to time travel, you know, just randomly. Oh, okay. So it's something biological rather than technological. Yeah, which is interesting, I think, that, you know, they just sort of... Like in this film, how they had that TK, telekinesis. You know, it's just something that has evolved with him particularly. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in Looper... Have you seen the poster? I have seen the poster, yes, where Bruce Willis is inside of him. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a cool poster? Just And he's sort of fading away, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the it's, poster. I think that's it's amazing. It's so cool. There's so many layers to that. Um, a lot of uh, uh, critics have draw- drawn parallels to The Terminator, and I definitely yeah. saw that, Like particularly when it got um, to the climactic moment where he realises it's you know he has to protect this kid... Um, you know, sort of like Terminator 1, um, mm. where the guy has to protect the son and the, the mum sort of thing. And 
um, against uh, somebody else from the future, you know. Like, uh, there's those elements there, definitely. Yeah, what's what's interesting is, I don't know... So, Sid is the crazy kid who... He's Emily Blunt's kid, and I love Emily Blunt. Just let me put it out there. What films Um, has she been in? She was in The Devil Wears Prada. She was the other receptionist with Anne Hathaway. I haven't seen it. She reminds you of Uma Thurman. Oh, yeah. Um, She was in The Five-Year Engagement with Jason Segel. Um, She was in Your Sister's Sister, which I recently saw at the movies. Um... Gosh, she's been I, in a I bunch of stuff. I think I've struck out. <laughs> okay. But you haven't seen her I haven't seen any of those movies. You know um, The Office, the American version? No, I don't watch that either. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is going to... Her husband is in The Office. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> this, this segues very nicely into what we're going to do next time. And at the end of this podcast, I'll tell you what we will be doing as our next podcast okay, sure. and this 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 conversation will make a lot more sense <laughs> um i thought the imagery was great in looper like at the very beginning the title's looper like when the opening title came up the o sort of splits into a second o right you know like cell division kind I don't of looking remember and that at all yeah yeah so like imagine an o which then another o slides to the left out of okay. it okay and for a moment, it looks like an infinity symbol, too. So, like, two O's oh, kind of right. bursting away from each other. Yeah, and then the word the looper is formed. But there were just clocks, pocket watches, you know, just constant sort of imagery to remind you you're watching a time travel film. Yeah, that's right. And I think drugs getting dripped in the eyes, is that a new concept? I, I think so, yeah. That? Like, uh, I can't... I don't know the medical behind it, um, but, yeah, like, that does sound plausible it looks definitely plausible like that yeah rather than you know rather inject into the bloodstream that's like the next step you know rather than having to insert something into your body um you just drip it into your eye and then it floods from there goes into your bloodstream from there have you ever seen that on film before i i want to say yes but i can't think of any um examples Okay. If anybody has seen that in a film before, I'd be interested to see it. You can find Lloyd and I um, on Twitter from www.podmeifyoucan.com. Yeah. So if you're on Twitter as well, shoot us a tweet. Let us know because <laughs> um, I'm interested about that. Um, what did you think of Jeff Daniels? Who um, I thought he was fantastic. Played, he's, uh, um, he's always been Abe. a solid actor, but um, a lot of people, particularly from my generation, know him from Dumb and Dumber. Um, which speed. is a comedy that was funny in our time. I don't think <laughs> kids would find it funny today. But um, yeah, he's—I uh, I always thought he's been pretty good. I'm trying to think of an example other than Speed that he's been in, but I know I've seen him in films where he's been really solid. Hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. I think this was—it was a pleasant surprise. I had no idea who was in the film. I didn't look it up on IMDb. He or anything wasn't that typical suit sitting behind a desk pulling all the strings, like when speaking suave. And he was like a really nice guy, someone you could have a conversation with. But he's in a really dangerous um, profession, like a really horror. Um, well, he's you know king, sort of hit uh, king of the Gat guys, or king of the hitmen. Um, but you know, I like it how he's talking to Gordon Levitt's trying to tell him, you know, to sell out his friend and it's just a conversation because no, I'm not going to hit you. I'm just going to talk, you know, (laughs) that was great. I like you said he's not wearing the typical suit. I like that conversation they have where Joseph Gordon Levitt is very suave. He's wearing the suit and it's a style choice and he's got one of those glow sticks. That was great. (laughs) Put put Sonic in your ear. (laughs) 
was uh, very like, well um, written, I thought. The director, Ryan... Um, what's his last name? Ryan... Johnson. Johnson. Ryan, sorry? Johnson. Oh, okay. Um, he did Brick. Um, he's so familiar and he's so renowned with the noir genre. And noir, of course, was the, uh, I guess, coin from the French films, dark films made from the 40s, arguably, I think, from 1939 or 41 with the Maltese Falcon, and then it went all the way till 1958, I think, with Touch of Evil by Orson Welles. Um, and what they are, these American, dark American films that were made with uh, very low money and all a lot with voiceover, and there were a lot, like, you know, with the typical 40s fashion of the hats and the suits and cloak and dagger sort of style mysteries with beautiful girls that are often dangerous or called the femme fatale and so forth um if you watch brick in particular you can tell that he's very schooled in that genre in fact if you do film studies it's probably one of the first things you ever learn is film noir um and influence photography and so forth um and with the voiceover at the start of looper and them all wearing like um uh i guess 20th 21st century clothing or 20th century clothing um, it, it has that he's brought over that style um, very heavily into this and I love the voiceover and, it, and everything like the flavour of it works so well because he's able to explain as you say the science behind everything it's fantastic yeah definitely and to create this world where they are sort of poverty stricken there's either super rich or super poor and they have the vehicles as well that sort of motorbike thing that Seth buys but doesn't really ever start and the fancy car you know it's sort of uh, the floor safes even I mean just the style of everything about the future you've you've got enough of the world to accept it you know what I mean I can't believe I saw some stats on that on this film and it was made for 30 million dollars yeah that can't be right surely like doing any sci-fi film and as good as Looper um can't be 30 million there's no way <laughs> and they had bruce well, willis in it for crying out loud surely just that name would i guess he must have worked off a point system i don't know i imagine he's getting something on the back yeah. end <laughs> dvd sales and stuff but like just comparing exactly. it to jack and jill or you know sorry to bring that up again but <laughs> it looks amazing like it, it's a amazing looking film amazing looking world with great special effects what was the budget for Jack and Jill again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do you remember the budget for Jack uh, and Jill? That was made for around 70 to $80 million. Seems like a pretty big waste of money. <laughs> that was shot over a weekend. weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, it may as well have been. <laughs> but it was everywhere, yeah. wasn't it? Most of that must have been advertising. Um, yeah, so uh, um, I, th- I think this director is going to go on to bigger and better things. Like, I think... Bruce Willis said, and he might have just been saying this to promote the film, but he said this is probably one of the best, probably the best film I've ever been in. I don't agree with that entirely because I think Die Hard is exceptional, especially Pulp Fiction as well, and Last Boy Scout and so forth. He's had an amazing career, and his face brings a whole huge um, cinema history with him, like of action films and everything. Like you cast Bruce Willis, and there's you know you just automatically get filled with all kinds of imagery of action and you know he brings that sort of thing to the screen and it's a fantastic role for him um uh, it's amazing and i loved it how much although he's just a normal guy um a normal hitman he seemed almost superhuman like the terminator particularly when it got to the end like he almost seemed unstoppable 
Um, and I thought yeah. it was a bit ridiculous, but if you look at his backstory, particularly, sorry to bring it up again, but when it starts the 30 years from when he gets killed, when he kills himself, um, he be- he yep. gets into the um, Asian, he goes to China, which was a pun because he was constantly learning French and he wanted to go to France yep. and eventually he settled in China like his um, boss suggested. Um, and he becomes a high-profiled gangster when his money runs out. Um, and he's very dangerous, and I'm assuming he became exceptionally good at weaponry and combat and so forth, um, particularly with all the drive-by shots. And then he falls in love with um, a girl that, you know, is supposed to bring him out of the uh, out of that world. And when, he, um, when he's wife, hunting yeah. down all the three kids that are possible for that mysterious rainmaker, he almost seems supernatural. Like, there's a point where they've got him, and he's surrounded by gunmen, and he takes out the whole entire building. Like, it just seemed a bit ridiculous, but then you think about where he's from. He's This is a guy that's very well trained in weaponry. You know, he's almost super fly compared to his younger and self. It, it's believable, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, sort of, the, over 30 years he's acquired those skills. Yeah, that's right. Like, he seems so strong and powerful. Yeah. The one shot I didn't like of the film was when they were... They had that transition. I was saying this earlier, but I didn't finish my thought. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that 30-year transition to becoming Bruce Willis. Yeah. There's one shot where they've given Bruce Willis these weird sort of balding hair extensions. <laughs> yeah. And I wish that they'd skipped that shot or just shaved his head a bit. I don't know. It just didn't seem right. There's this one kind of weird... Because we know Bruce Willis so yeah. well. It was easier for this, them to change Joseph Gordon-Levitt's appearance and not Bruce Willis's, you know? Yeah, that's right. You know, because now, like, I looked at that picture of... Bruce Willis with the weird hair extensions and I thought he looks weird to me but I accepted <laughs> that he Joseph Gordon-Levitt if he was going that <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um, I think sometimes Bruce Willis overpowers a film yes his, um, his presence on screen is huge yeah exactly and originally apparently they had the film they had that sequence earlier in the film and so they had um Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt becoming Bruce Willis, and then Bruce Willis comes back in time, and then when he comes back, the whole stories of the escape and stuff yep. starts. So you would have watched it in like real time with Bruce Willis's whole life, then he comes back and it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. And so if that had happened, then the lead character would have been Bruce Willis and not Joseph yeah. Gordon-Levitt. And so they've done well to have Joseph Gordon-Levitt stars as joe in this because bruce willis becomes a supporting actor nearly you know by not appearing for a while like 45 minutes into the film kind of thing. that brings up such an interesting point with that strategy you feel so much for each character like every character has its reasons which is what a lot of films don't do well at all like you sympathize with bruce willis although he's killing children um you know killing kids but at the same time, you understand where he's coming from. And there are scenes where he you get regret, like he's fully crying and breaking down, like what he's doing is, you know, he it's, it's you know, destroying his soul, so to speak. But when he, how much he loves his wife and, you know, he has to kill this kid, the Rainmaker, so he can live on with his wife, you know. Um, oh, well, so his wife doesn't die. You really sympathize yeah. with him, although he's like this monster, really. He is the Terminator go- um, coming back to kill um, the, these kids. And then you sympathize with Gordon Levitt. He wants to 
survive so as it was set up you don't want those horrible things to happen to him where they lob off fingers and legs and everything like that and there is that love story with that girl and the girl has great Emily reasons Blunt, too yeah. she's really loves her son and will do whatever she can to um to care for him you know she'll protect him with a gun in the middle of nowhere against anything you know that was it was so fantastic so well-rounded to see that in a in a movie well, that's probably why they've gone out to that farm is so that they're not around people when he has those kind of telekinetic freakouts. Oh, what a freaky kid. Normally kids in movies just tick me off right away, but they did, they did a good job with this kid. He was uh, freaky. He was, um, you know, it was, it was good. <laughs> in a way, I like the film The Shining, Kubrick's The Shining, and this little kid had special abilities like that that's kid in The really Shining. That's a really good point, you know? yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this film is a little bit like that movie In Time with Justin Timberlake that was out recently. Yep. Because um, there's kind of a, you know, you're always constantly running out of time, everybody's in a rush in the future kind mm-hmm. of thing. This film is a lot like The Butterfly Effect. Have you seen I didn't, that? I wasn't a fan of that movie, but yeah, I have seen it. Because of the ending of this film, and obviously we can say it because we said spoilers, how Joseph Gordon-Levitt turns the gun on himself, kills himself, thereby killing Bruce yes. Willis, you know, in The Butterfly Effect the director's cut um in the original ending of the butterfly effect spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the butterfly effect in the original ending he um goes back to a point where uh young amy smart is um amy smart i'm pretty sure it's amy smart yeah uh where the young amy smart is there and he says don't ever come near me or i'll kill you and your whole family and then she never becomes friends with him and they never know each other and then he um goes on living his life she lives her life and they don't ruin each other's lives um but in the director's cut he realizes instead of going back to that moment he realizes there's a video he can watch and it's um him in the womb and he goes back to himself in the womb takes consciousness of himself in the womb strangles himself with the umbilical cord killing himself before he's ever born so it seems like a stillbirth kind of thing um and what's sort of horrible about that you know is that he his life only hurt people um and as a result he wishes he was never born it's sort of this horrible haunting script in a way that they had to change the ending to i guess but the director's cut for the butterfly effect is really interesting and and reminded me of this film where he has to kill himself to take himself out of the equation completely to um stop sid becoming the rainmaker i guess isn't that strange though the rainmaker is like the hero um in the future where he takes down all the crime syndicates because if you think about it from another sense this guy is batman but with superpowers where his parents or his mum rather gets killed horribly by an assassin and he vows for the rest of his life to destroy all loopers and the entire crime syndicate um, he might be, you know, it might be the other way. He might be a complete villain. Like once he takes the helm, he's like, it's like the reign of the devil in the future. But um, yeah, so with Gordon Levitt's point of view, he's actually seeing um, being a hero in the sense that he's saving um, a mum and a child, a child's bond, and them growing up together happily and and you know, in, in, with their relationship. Um, but very, very well done. They did say that thing about Sid having a glass jaw, like there's rumours about him, no one knows who he is, he has a glass jaw, and then when Bruce Willis shoots at him and he kind of gets hit in the jaw, you oh, know, yeah. 
um, towards the end of the film, I wondered if whether he created the monster Sid or whether or not he really did change things in the end because it seems like he almost could have caused him to become the person Mm. he is whether or not his mum lives or not won't necessarily change that because it seemed like Emily Blunt's character had a hard time controlling him as it was you know he was still having those freak outs and she would have to go lock herself in that like safe and stuff and um yeah look I don't know I don't know whether or not I don't think we'll see a sequel because there's no lead character anymore. Yeah, but don't make a sequel. It's you'll worth kill debating. It. <laughs> yeah, it's worth debating whether or not he caused what was going to happen, or whether or not he changed it. You know, whether or not in the end it was a good idea to shoot himself. Sure. You know, um, Piper Parablo, who is from Covert Affairs and Cody Ugly. Yeah, this was plays- a brave role for her, wasn't she? Wasn't wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that she was going to get naked. Yeah. I mean. It seems like maybe Covert Affairs isn't doing so well. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she, um, necessary. she's come from the Coyote Ugly days and she's now got a, I, I'm assuming, a hit TV series um, called Covert it's Affairs. It's still going. And, and then she's in that's this a pretty film good sign. and she's nude and everything. It's just like, all right. Um. <laughs> oh, I would have traded that for Emily Blunt um, getting nude any day. Yeah. <laughs> um, what happened to they her? Had that Did scene- her son die as well? How do you mean? Piper Parabola? Yeah, because uh, I know Bruce Willis killed the first son. That's like the first Sarah Connor where he, you know, where Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. comes in and shoots that girl in the suburban house. Um, and then there's a second hit where he's um, ambushed by... Um, yeah, so he doesn't get to kill. He um, gets captured by the How does by, he know um, the, the third Gatman. one then is definitely the Rainmaker if he doesn't kill that kid? Um, is it... It's been, been a couple of weeks since I've seen this. Um, but is it that when Joseph Gordon-Levitt realises things, Bruce Willis realises oh, okay. things? So, like, he gets the memories just shortly after. Yep. So I think when he realises he's a TK oh, freak... Oh, because he, he saw the um, telepathic abilities when he killed... Yeah. Um, when the kid killed that... The, guy f- um, the, the, the dad from Raising Hope. <laughs> The guy who he kills, who he floats yeah. in the air, and he floats. He was all a the great furniture. character this- as well. I love that in movies how they don't make gangsters just a goon. Like he says, no, he's actually yeah. a really nice guy. He won't hurt us, but he he just has to do what he's been told. And he even there is he, he's given plenty of moments where he's like, look, we we got to go. Just get in the car and let, let's get out of here. You know what I have to do. But he you can tell he's they've had a friendship and he's actually a nice guy and he doesn't want to hurt any of them and when the kid interrupts him and he trips he pulls the gun up right away going whoops whoops i didn't mean to do anything and then the kid and en- yep. ends up tearing him apart anyway in a horrific death scene to show- showcase yeah. the power of the um of of his tele- telepathy or telekinesis rather um i love Definitely. that that's such good detail how they're able to bring that characterization in like uh, mm. uh, uh, any other director would have went oh yeah he's just a goon don't worry about him It'd just be mean just be aggressive you know that's what you have to do you know and there would have been this whole standoff scene and yeah i think bruce willis must like time travel movies i think um have you seen i 12 love monkeys? 12 monkeys <laughs> yeah it's great and that's very much there's parts of that in this film you know he's going back to try and find out what went wrong in a way you know like i don't want to spoil 12 monkeys for anyone who hasn't seen it. it's a great film with bruce willis and time travel really that's all you need to know well Well, we're not going to spoil anything (laughs) (laughs) 
But there's another Bruce Willis film um, called The Kid, and it's a Disney movie where Bruce Willis goes back to see himself. His younger self is played by uh, like a Disney kid. He's the guy from uh, Cat in the Hat, the little boy. Was and that stuff. any good? The kid, yeah, the movie. Well, it's like it's super Disney. You know, he's trying to find. Yeah, I mean, there's a scene where the little kid proposes to um, his girlfriend, Bruce Willis's girlfriend, and um, you know, because they're the same person and stuff. And there's scenes where they're doing exactly the same thing at the same time, like you know, blowing their nose or whatever, <laughs> or scratching themselves at the same time. You know, it's kind of a kooky little film, but it even that film has sort of roots in this film. You know, like where. Bruce Willis is playing the same person as a younger version of himself. Just a super young version of himself in The Kid. I don't know. Maybe you should check oh, it well, out. yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of films that we should probably check out, this brings us to next time. Um, I asked Lloyd if there are any films that he probably should have seen by now, but hasn't for whatever reason. And uh, I challenged myself as well on this. So, the next two episodes, what we're going to do is next time we're going to do a film that Lloyd probably should have seen, but definitely hasn't by this point. And people will say, really? You've never seen that? You know, yeah. like it's a modern classic or whatever it is. And then the episode after that, the same will happen for me. One of these films that you think, I probably should have seen that. It's been on TV a bunch of times. You know, it's got a classic kind of connotations. And, you know, it's probably somebody's favorite film. Would you agree, yep. Lloyd? Definitely. Nice. So, the next episode after this one, hope you've enjoyed Looper. Uh, We're going to wrap this one up now. The next episode after this that you hear will be something that Lloyd has never seen before, (laughs) but probably should have. And then the week after, it's going to be the same story for a film I probably should have seen. So, uh, looking forward to that, Lloyd. All right, mate. Thanks for talking Looper with me. And uh, that is all for Pod Me If You Can. Thanks, guys. All the best.